Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Stand if you would then, please. We'll read Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 10. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Thank you. You may be seated. What I'm going to preach to you tonight, some of you have undoubtedly heard preached before, and here's why, because it is a very plain truth in the Bible. So if you've sat through much Bible preaching or teaching or done much Bible study, it's inevitable that you've heard somebody deal with the principle of sowing and reaping. I have no doubt you've experienced the principle of sowing and reaping. If you're living and you're breathing, you and I have experienced the principle of sowing and reaping. We've looked at, in Galatians 6, the law of love. You remember that in Galatians, the, the false teachers had crept in and were teaching people to go back under the law of Moses, go back to rituals, go back to the rules of the law of Moses rather than listening to the living Spirit of God work through His Word and uh, lead, be led of, of, of the Holy Spirit of God as He operates through, of course, the printed Word, and the preached Word in our lives. And, uh, and so anyway, Paul had dealt with the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And so now he's dealing with the laws we do live by. We've dealt with the law of liberty. We have been freed from sin that we might serve Christ and do what is right. Liberty is not freedom to do what my flesh, fleshly impulses want. That's bondage. To serve our fleshly impulses is bondage. Liberty in Christ is the freedom to do what is right. Uh, people speak as though we're free to sin. No, we're bound to sin. When we get set free, we're free to do what's right. So we've dealt with the law of liberty. And then Galatians 6 verses 1 on down through about verse uh, 6 deals with the law of love. And the fact that we, we are to operate on the principle of loving others because we have received the love of God. And so that's the whole issue being dealt with here. If a brother be overtaken with a fault, you, in a fault you which are spiritual, restore such in one. Very much in the spirit of what we looked at this morning as what we see the Good Samaritan doing. We can walk by on the other side uh, or we can go and go to work restoring someone whether it be leading a lost soul to Christ, that's, that's not necessarily the primary application of this. He's dealing with a brother that has fallen. We're to restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. That's the law of love. We're to operate on the law of valuing another more than we value ourselves. Is that not the law of Christ? Uh, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and take personal responsibility for the burdens of responsibility that have been entrusted to us, relying on the strength and power of the Lord, that he gives us through the Holy Spirit of God and to, by love, serve one another. We're not to use liberty as an occasion of the flesh, but to, by love, serve one another. If you would, we enter in tonight the law of life. This is dealt with in Romans chapter 8, where we were under the law of sin and death, but if we're in Christ Jesus, we've been delivered. We have, we have the law, of the, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Let me read Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me, if you would, very quickly. When we are given the Holy Spirit of God, we are given life. We are given uh, we are given the life, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for our sins and dealt with our, our death. But upon salvation, where not only do we have the price that Christ paid through his death, but we're given his life so that we may have strength to serve him. And so he's going to deal with the principle inside the law of life 
inside the law of life, and that is you're going to reap what you sow. If you sow seeds of the flesh, you're going to get corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to get everlasting life. Not only have we received eternal life and everlasting life for ourselves through faith in the message of the Spirit of God, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are also able to see others come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everlasting life is given to them. And so then, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And he goes on to talk about what the law could not do. So the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And so when, when the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to deal here with sowing and reaping, there's a principle in place, and I believe under this heading you can deal with the law of life. We now have life in Christ. Therefore, what we were not free to do by living, when we were dead in sin, you couldn't live for Christ, but now we can. We, we have the vitality, if you would, the vitality of Jesus Christ himself to live a life of faith and victory and of service to one another. And this, this ties it all back in. The law of liberty is what we're going to be judged by. What we are free to do is what we're responsible to do. That's what he's going to deal with in verse 10. As you have, therefore, opportunity, meaning you have liberty and you have life, you have strength, so use that as you have, therefore, opportunity. Do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith. And so I do believe this. Believe in the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged. Our works as Christians are going to be judged not only by what we did, but what we had opportunity to do. I asked in jail this afternoon, in preaching the same text I preached this morning, I asked him, I said, did the priest and the Levite in Luke 10, did they sin by not going to the wounded man and helping him? Their answer was yes, they did sin. They knew that. They couldn't quote James 4, 17, but they knew the truth, yes. They had the capability to help that man and chose not to. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. May I say this? One of, the, one of the greatest lies of Satan to a person who's been born again is that you cannot do what is right. You cannot overcome a temptation. You cannot serve the Lord. You cannot learn to boldly proclaim the gospel. Satan will lie to you once you're saved and, and convince you you're still in bondage when you've been set free convince you that you still are incapable. And by the way, there's truth in that. In our flesh, we are incapable. Do we agree? But we're not incapable through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things, and the rest of that verse is very important, through Christ which strengtheneth me. So this is where the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God is coming from with the Galatians, is you are not bound to sin under the law. You are free to righteousness by the presence of the Spirit of God in your life, meaning the Spirit of God is present, so to the Spirit. With that in mind, I really want to hone in and focus, though, on the principle here that is dealt with of sowing and reaping. In chapter 5, he's dealt with the works of the flesh, and let's just be reminded of what those are tonight. He says in Galatians 5, uh, verse 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and just to cover all the bases, and such like. I Meaning anything that's like this. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. He says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, so if you've received eternal life by the work of the Holy Spirit of God through faith in Christ, let us also... Walk in the Spirit. There's that Spirit of life. If you live in the Spirit, you have life in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Cooperate and coordinate and obey Him as He leads you. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Then He goes into talking about restoring one another, and then He comes down to back to this emphasis of it's either the flesh or the Spirit. 
How many of us understand God operates in black and white? He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, try to walk in the Spirit as you're in the flesh. You get two options. We're either going to sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit. There are the works of the flesh and there's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and so as he does this, you and I, day by day, are going to make decisions. Now, let's remember, he's writing to save people, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible for a believer to listen to the flesh and ignore the Holy Spirit and sow to the flesh. It's possible. That's why he warns us not to do it. Uh, but what he's going to do is lay down here tonight uh, and, and refer to this principle. So as I began to say, I really want to hone in tonight with God's help on the principle of sowing and reaping. As I've said, if you've heard much preaching You've probably heard these very same points before because they are, they're clearly articulated in Scripture and not hard to see. What we're going to do with each point tonight is going to give you some, some, uh, some different aspects of, of the principle of sowing and reaping. These are laws, okay? The law of sowing and reaping is this is the way it works each and every time. Uh, and this applies, this principle of sowing and reaping, it applies in the natural realm. This applies in agriculture, and it applies in the spiritual realm in our lives. That's why God uses this analogy to teach us about spiritual things. We have a culture and we have a world right now that doesn't like to acknowledge and recognize absolutes, right? Doesn't like to, especially when it comes to spiritual things. When it comes to spiritual things, folks want to pretend like no one can know what is true. But that's not true, <laughs> God has given us, Jesus said this, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. So when the word of God puts forward a principle, it's true. And tonight, many a person has tried to bypass the principle or the law of sowing and reaping. I'm going to sow this, but I'm going to reap this. I'm going to sow this, but I'm going to reap this. This is why he begins this with these three words, be not deceived. I would encourage you, if you like uh, Bible studies, you like to take a phrase in the Bible, just take time to study that phrase throughout your New Testament. Be not deceived. Anytime God tells us be not deceived, it's because we are prone to be deceived in that area of our life. Ephesians 5 talks about be not deceived. And so here to the Galatians, he said, be not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You and I will never make a fool out of God. We'll never at the end of the day say, well, God said, but that's not, I mean, people say that. Well, God said this is what would happen, but I did the opposite and it worked well for me. I've seen people between the season of sowing and reaping think that they mocked God. I ignored God and I disobeyed God, but I have been highly successful at it. But you know what the problem is? They are between the point where they sowed and where they're going to reap. And that's one of the principles we'll see in just a moment. So four, four aspects of this principle tonight. What I start to say with each point, we're going to see some instruction, some very specific biblical instruction about this aspect of the principle. And then we're going to give you some illustration. God teaches us about the principle of sowing and reaping throughout the Bible, both through specific instruction. He's going to spell out the principle of sowing and reaping, but then... He gives us throughout Scripture people to illustrate that principle, both on the good and the bad side. So let's begin tonight with the first aspect of this principle of sowing and reaping, and it's what we have right here in Galatians, and that is we always reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Say, duh. Well, God has to spell it out for us, doesn't he? We think, you know what, I can... Listen to my flesh, my natural reasoning. I believe Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 spells out what it means to sow to the flesh. It's when you lean to your own understanding. When we lean to our own understanding, meaning my natural reasoning, my natural intellect, my natural wisdom is what I need to rely on. People say things like this. Um, well, God gave you a brain, and they'll normally say that when they are co combating a Bible principle. There's a Bible truth that would lead us to make a decision of faith. And we say, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to do it that way. But that's what God's word says. Well, God gave you a brain, man. Oh, that statement right there makes me nervous. 
What that means is, I know what God says, but because it doesn't make sense, that can't mean what it means to me. Meaning, I'm going to make a decision in the flesh. I know what I want. I know I've sorted this out. I've worked it out in my own mind. I know the Word of God does not agree with me, but it's going to work anyway. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. Here's some instruction on that. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Now, we see it right here in Galatians in the spiritual stand, from the spiritual standpoint. Uh, we are either going to sow to the flesh, and of the flesh we'll reap corruption, or sow to the Spirit, and of the Spirit reap ever, life everlasting. Uh, flesh brings death. The Spirit of God gives life, uh, and that's the principle. Uh, but if you look at Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus spoke of it this way in telling us about false prophets. He likens them uh, to different kinds of, of uh, agriculture, trees. He says this, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. He says, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot, notice that word, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. The Lord Jesus is dealing with this very principle. You do not get figs from thistles. You just don't do it. It doesn't happen that way. You get figs from a fig tree. You get thistles and briars from a thistle bush, but you don't get one from the other. And the, the nature of the seed determines the kind of fruit you get. And uh, it's repeated in uh, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 12, this same principle of we reap what we sow. James, chapter 3, verse 11 says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Verse 12, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? So he's, these are both good fruits, but he's saying the nature of the seed is going to determine the kind of fruit you get. We reap what we sow. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, fig, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Every year at our house where we live, watch out over that valley, and we see the, the sowers out in the field and the tractors sowing seed, uh, if they're sowing in the fall, we assume they're putting down some winter wheat. But if they're sowing in the spring, it's best guess. I can't tell what kind of seed they're putting down. So guess how I know when they ha when when what they've sown. There's a point in time where I can say I know what they sowed. We are always dreading if they sow canola right in front of the house because it stinks, right? Uh, so we watch the field. You can look at the tractor unless you can go down there and put your hand in the seed. You don't know. So I wait. Couple of months, and all of a sudden, I see a little green. Well, not even a couple of months, a few weeks, green popping up. When it gets about yay high, I can say, "Yep, this year they put in canola, or this year they put in barley, or this year uh, they put." I love when they put in oats. Oh, hey, that makes for some good venison right there. <laughs> oats raise good deer. So, but you know when you know, you know what kind of seed when it pops up. You know what's going to be the revealer of the kind of seed we're sowing tonight? Every person in this room is sowing seed. We're making this, The sowing in Galatians 6 has to do with the decisions you're making. Sowing to the flesh means I listened to my flesh and did what my flesh wanted. Sowing to the Spirit is I listened to the Word of God and did what the Spirit of God wanted. That's it. It's, it's our walk. How do we know? By what it produces. You cannot. It is impossible to make a decision in response to your flesh and get a spiritual outcome. It is impossible. You and I cannot listen to our fleshly impulses, our lusts. That's, that's the, that is the call of the flesh, my lust, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You and I cannot sow to those impulses and get a spiritual outcome. We're living in a world where people are doing what they want in their flesh and trying to gloss it over with spiritual terms. You and I cannot. We reap what we sow. It works that way every time. Many times we want spiritual outcomes. Friend, if you and I want spiritual outcomes, we have to obey the Holy Spirit of God by faith. 
we must walk in the Spirit. So that's the instruction, Matthew 17, 16, and James chapter 3, verse 12. But let, let me give you an illustration that we reap what we sow. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. If you want a story, an account in the Bible that demonstrates sowing and reaping, study the life of a man named Jacob. And you'll find a life of sowing and reaping. And you ask, what did he sow? Sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit? And the answer is yes, he did. He sowed to the flesh, and he got a lot of fleshly return, did he not? Then he learned to sow to the spirit. And by the time Jacob's dead, he's reaping more of everlasting life than he is of corruption. Because he learned, if I sow to the flesh, I reap corruption. But when I sow to the Spirit, I reap life everlasting. I believe the time Jacob had died, he had learned, and I understand he's in a different dispensation of time, but he had learned how to live by faith rather than by sight. You know what living by sight is? Flesh. You know what? We've become, many times, we become spiritual pragmatists. If I can see that a decision of obedience will turn out good, I'll obey. But if I cannot envision how it will turn out good, I'm not going to do it. Well, you'll never, you'll never live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I take God at his word and make decisions on the basis of his character being faithful and true. Genesis 27, verses 14 through 21, 14 through 23. This first example, we'll do just a little more reading, but I, want, I, want us, I believe this so aptly illustrates the first aspect of this principle, we reap what we sow. Genesis 27, verse 14, the Bible says... Um, Give me just a moment. And went, this is Jacob, and we're having to cut in on the story. So just for time's sake, this is, this is Rebekah and Jacob setting up the deception of Isaac so they can get the blessing from Esau. So it says, and he went, speaking of Jacob, and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids, so animals had been slain, to create uh, meat for Isaac and uh, that which would feel like hair on Jacob's hands. She put the skins of the kids on the, uh, of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread and she pre had, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn, I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou art my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And you can continue reading, get the rest of the account. Now if you would turn to Genesis 37, 10 chapters forward. Genesis 37, verses 23 through 34. We have gone many years down the, the road now. Jacob has left, lived with Laban. And Laban has deceived Jacob as Jacob had deceived many others. So even in Laban... With Laban, you see Jacob already reaping what he's sown and sowing deception and reaping deception. But in Genesis 37, his chickens come home to roost, meaning Jacob was deceived by his children in the very manner he had deceived his own father. There are numbers of correlations here. Genesis 37, verse 23, And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt, and Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, this, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? 
And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats. Does that sound familiar? Killing a kid of the goats? And dipped the coat, goodly raiment, dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Now uh, Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces, and Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Point out two aspects that help us understand Jacob is right here reaping what he sowed. When Jacob deceived his father, Isaac, he killed kids of the goat, remember? He killed some goats, took that meat to his dad, and convinced him, I am Esau, I'm your eldest son. And in the manner in which he deceived his father, the same manner was he deceived Many years later, here we are, years and years, talking about decades down the road. He had served Laban over 20 years. Here he sows the seed of deception when he's about 40 years old. And here he is all these years later, over 20 years later, and finally the seed he sowed back here is popping up. And here come his boys with, they, they, they killed a kid of the goats. They, you remember what Jacob did? He took, Rebekah gave him the goodly raiment of Esau, his clothing. Now, now, now Jacob, his sons get Joseph's goodly raiment and they bring that to him and say, is this your sons? You realize he is reaping exactly what he sowed. How many of us think the heartache of Jacob was greater than the heartache of Isaac? How many of you think the thought that Joseph had been torn to bits by some wild beast was worse than Esau having lost the blessing? At least Isaac knows that Esau's alive once he figures out he's been duped. Not Jacob. It'll be 20 plus years again before he realizes that he'd been lied to. Now I'm going to tell you something. We can make our way through life lying and deceiving and tricking and fooling people, acting to be spiritual when we're actually carnal, pretending to be saved when we've never been born again. Whatever you want to say, you can, you can put on some deception, but what we sow, we're going to reap. We reap what we sow. You know what? On the positive side of that, and we'll see illustrations of that, just as true as it is, if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap from the flesh. How about use Joseph himself as an illustration of he sowed faith and obedience to Jacob when he was at home. He sowed blessings and obedience when he went and checked on his brother, his brothers. Joseph was being faithful to his calling. When he was thrown in a pit, he remained faithful. When he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he remained faithful. When he got thrown in prison, he did what was right and sowed seeds of faith and obedience. And one day, God put him on the throne. Just as much as we sow to the flesh, we'll reap to the flesh. Joseph is a picture that you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit. And he had to wait. Both had to wait for the the crop to come in, which is going to bring us to another principle. But the fact is, we reap what we sow. We could speak of Samson, who sowed his flesh and he reaped corruption. Samson used his eyes to lust after a strange woman and he had his eyes gouged out. Sowed to the flesh, reap flesh. We could speak of King Saul, who sowed his flesh and he reaped. Judas Iscariot, even Peter the disciple who sowed to the flesh in his own self-confidence and, 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 and trust in his own ability and power and in a night of temptation, he failed utterly. Turn right around and we'll give more illustrations later of, of the good. So this works both ways. But we reap what we sow. When we sow corn, we're going to get corn. We sow wheat, we'll get wheat. So potatoes, you get potatoes. But the fact is, the kind of seed you put in the ground is what's going to come up. Oh, how we could speak of King David who sowed seeds of faith and slaying the giant and seeds of the flesh and committing adultery with Bathsheba. He sowed to the flesh on that night and for the rest of his days his crops came in. I've been listening to some preaching about the life of David. It'll break your heart to realize how that good man who had sown to the Spirit made some right decisions in a moment of time, decided to listen to his fleshly impulses and lusted and committed adultery and had a man killed and he lost Absalom and he lost Amnon and he lost Tamar and he lost almost every child after that. He lost an infant. Now, did God forgive him? I mean, just know the moment that David repented, God forgave him. But he'd already sowed some seeds. He'd already sown to the flesh and... What we sow, 
is what we reap. So we want to make sure we're sowing the right kind of seed. Number two, not only do we reap what we sow, we reap later than we sow. Oh, how important this aspect of this principle is. We reap later than we sow. I'm already keeping my eye on sugar plum down here. I want to know when she puts up seed potatoes. She has it for about two days, and then it's gone. So I'm watching when she puts her sign up, and we'll get my seed, and I'll sow some seed potato probably in April some point in time. Kind of keep an eye on the weather, trying to get the timing right so they don't get frostbitten and all that kind of thing. But I know this, I'd be a fool to sow seed potato in April and expect fruit by May 1. No, I'll get my potatoes come August or September. There's a delay. Now listen closely. Young people, listen closely to me. We can fool ourselves into thinking, I did what I wanted there and I was hurt. Ooh, the world's going to come to an end. All that happened was I had a good time, enjoyed my sin. Where are all the consequences I heard preached about? No, 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 you reap later than you sow. You sow today. I mentioned already Jacob. You realize there were some seeds that Jacob sowed. He did not reap the fruit for 20 plus years. Joseph sowed seeds of obedience as a 17-year-old boy, but he's not on the throne until after he's 30. He sowed some good seed, but boy, he had to wait on it to come to fruit, didn't he? Make no mistake, there is a delay between sowing and reaping. We reap later than we sow. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. There's an inference there. There's going to be a delay. You're going to sow, but you're going to have to wait to reap. What does Galatians 6, 9 say? And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Meaning, you're going to sow, but you're not going to see an immediate impact. May I say this? I believe with all of my heart. We, we've, we've seen some fruit in the Boundary County Jail today, but do you realize there are seeds that have been sown in there a dozen years ago? A dozen years ago. Work that began a dozen years ago is just now bearing fruit. Eh? There, there are people, listen, there are people that may one day get born again in this county, and I may not live to see it. You may not live to see it, but we must understand there is a distance of time between when you sow the seed and when you reap the harvest. And that's true again on both sides, both on the positive and the negative. Look at Proverbs 132, a verse that we refer to often because it needs to be uh, for the sake of wisdom. Proverbs 1, uh, verse 30, uh, 31 says, Therefore uh, shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices, Verse 32, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them. Notice this, I always, just this phrase always amazes me. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Can fools prosper? For a time. Between sowing and reaping. When a fool sows his folly, it just emblazons him in his folly to say, oh, disobey God and you'll get in trouble. There was an atheistic fool known to stand and say, I'm going to give God a timer. He's got 20 minutes to prove to me he's God. And after the 20 minutes, he'd say, well, I guess there's no God. Somebody said, what a fool to think you can wear out God's patience in 20 minutes. Hmm? That guy's got a day of reckoning coming. I believe God just allows the man to go on. But one day he'll reap what he saw. My point is this. There is a, a lapse of time. We always reap later than we sow. And the illustration I've referenced already, Joseph. What about Joseph's brethren? For time's sake, we'll not turn there. But in Genesis chapter uh, 42, verses 18 through 21, we read earlier of how they grabbed him and put him in a pit and, uh, and threw him in that pit Rended his clothes. Let's just go ahead. Turn, turn, turn to Genesis 42. It won't take long to read this. So here we are. Joseph has been in Egypt now for all these years. He has been through Potiphar's house. He's been through prison. He's been on the throne. There's already been seven years of plenty and two years of famine. So Joseph at this time has been on the throne for nine years. He's been uh, uh, in, in ruling in Egypt for nine years when his brethren finally show up. If my math is correct... 22 years have lapsed between when they threw him in a pit 
and the day when these statements are made in Genesis 42. 22 years, that's two decades. That's longer than some of you have been living. Genesis 42, verse 18, the Bible says this. Uh, after Joseph begins to test his brethren, the Bible says in verse 18, and Joseph said unto them, I may be in the wrong place. No, uh, verse 18. And Joseph said unto them, the third day, this do and live, for I fear God. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your houses, uh, but bring your youngest brother unto me, verse 20. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Verse 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress upon us. Now, we understand Joseph was causing their distress to bring them to repentance. But how many know they were reaping what they sowed? 22 years later, they're reaping what they sowed. I've watched folks, I think of some people I love very dearly, but I watched them begin to make some decisions. At first, they were just minor decisions, just little variances away from the Word of God. Just, just little things, not major. Just little things they, they knew from God's Word was not correct, not accurate, not right, and they were warned. Watched people that loved them warn them, you better be careful, you're taking a bad direction. That's good, we're not, we're not turning away from the Lord, we're not changing our fundamental beliefs. We're, we're, we're staring. Ten years to see those decisions come to fruition. Home is a wreck, split apart. The changes made in what they believe and how they're willing to live, astronomical. But it all started with just a few seeds of the flesh, a few. Just a little, little sowing of the flesh and then seeing it reap corruption. I've also watched people decide to obey the word of God, be reproached, ridiculed, mocked, made fun of, marginalized. <laughs> you, you use whatever term you want. You're a hard-nosed this, that, or the other, and watch them just stay faithful to God's word. And then decades, I, I, thankfully, I've been able to watch some people's lives for three decades. And watching as they've gone through hardship and said, you know what, we're going to be patient and wait on God. We're not going to turn aside from the word of God just because it doesn't seem to be working. We're going we're to obey the Lord. We're going to be faithful to the Bible. We're going to change our convictions. We're not going to change our convictions to be more relevant in this culture and world. We're just going to do what God says. You know what Monastery Baptist Church needs to do? Steadfast, unmovable. Uh, steadfast and unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's a day coming when sowing seeds of righteousness by listening to the Spirit of God bears fruit. But... Principle number one, or first aspect of the principle is we reap what we sow. We reap later than we sow. Job was a picture of that. Job decided to trust God. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I finished the book of Job, my personal reading this morning. I read this morning that when he ended his life, he had twice as much as he did when his trials began. You know why? James tells us to learn of patience by observing the life of Job. You wait on God, and God will never disappoint you. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, Psalm 27, 14 says. We reap later than we sow. Number three, we always reap more than we sow. It's a Bible principle. We reap more than we sow. That's a principle, meaning you put one seed in the ground, how many do you get in return? You put one little kernel of corn in the ground, and it comes up a stalk, you're going to get, even if all you get is two ears of corn, how many more kernels have you got? We always reap more than we sow. And it doesn't matter. You may sow a little. Whatever you get in return will be, though it may sow little. We'll deal with that in our last principle or last aspect in a few minutes. But the fact is, we always reap more than we sow. We sow a little bit of disobedience to God. It reaps major consequences. We're warned in, in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, to take heed lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and many thereby de be defiled. One little root of bitterness in the heart of one person has profound impact on those around them. We always reap more than we sow. The instruction for that, again, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, 
shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his what with him? Seeds? Sheaves. You took seed and you brought back sheaves. Amen. That's a blessing. That's on the positive side. So we must understand we reap more than we sow. An illustration of that in Scripture be 1 Kings chapter 17. A widow of Zarephath was told to give a handful of meal, a little bit of oil, and two sticks. She sowed just a little in obedience and faith. She made that little cake and said, I'll eat thereof and die. And the prophet said, no, you make it for me and give it to me. And she had a little boy there. She said, this is all we have. God says, you give the little you have and I'll multiply it. Uh, and we'll say more about that in a moment. But she sowed a little and she reaped enough to sustain her until the end of the famine. One handful resulted in a barrel that never run dry, ran dry. This principle, we could use so many other illustrations in Scripture, but the fact of the matter is, is we reap more than we sow. And again, you can look in the life of David. He decided on one afternoon, instead of going to battle, to listen to his flesh and stay home. Do you think he had any idea what would be the consequence of that foolhardy decision? When kings go forth to war, he decided it was times for kings to stay home and be entertained and sit upon his veranda, bored with himself, not knowing what to do. And when he did, he got into sin. He listened to his flesh. And one yielding to the flesh led to another yielding to the flesh. And what he did with Bathsheba resulted in an Absalom trying to kill his own daddy. How many of us would agree he reaped more than he sowed? One of the reasons God, the Holy Spirit, has preserved that section of Scripture for us, I can never approach 1 Kings 11 without getting a knot in my stomach. If a man like David can fall, who would I think I am to think I couldn't? David was a man after God's own heart. Here's a man that God loved and God blessed him. And David, in the midst of that, he did not think spiritually, he thought carnally and I understand he didn't have the spirit indwelling him like we do, but David knew. He sowed a little seed to the flesh. Oh, how he reaped more than he sowed. Number four, we reap according to how we sow. You say, didn't we just cover that? Not exactly. We can say, well, if I sow one seed, I'll get a hundred in return. I'm going to sow two seeds. Others think, man, if I reap more than I sow, I'm going to sow as much as I can everywhere I can. Somebody can think of it this way. Let's try to illustrate it this way. You know what? If I give out one gospel tract this week and somebody believes it and gets saved, hey, I've sown, I reap. So I don't want to be guilty of not giving out the word of God. So I'll make sure I sow one gospel tract a week, 52 per year. I'll just make sure I do that so I've done my duty. Well, you sow a little like that, you'll reap a little. Now, you don't reap if you don't sow. That's another aspect. We could say you have to sow to reap. But the fact of the matter is, 2 Corinthians tells us, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. You can say, I'm sowing, but the question would be, am I sowing with a slack hand or a bountiful hand? Am I doing as much as I possibly can or as little as I have to? I hope you hear me tonight. Many times we become minimalist when it comes to doing what's right. Well, I'm going to sow to the Spirit. I know I'm supposed to pray. So what's the minimum amount of time I need to pray every day to stay right with God? You sow a little, you'll reap a little. Sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. That, comes, it was, that was stated in the, in the standpoint of financial giving. Look, if you would, at this aspect of the principle. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. This has to do with being generous or being stingy, really, to be honest. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. How many of you notice this? Givers are able to be givers. And don't, don't miss the simplicity of what I just said. People that have purposed, I'm going to give. I'm going to be generous. Seem to always have the ability to give. Because there's a principle, give and it shall be given unto you. You shovel out and God will shovel in. He doesn't shovel in so you can have. He shovels in so you can give. We don't give to get, we give to give. 
And this has to do with giving our time. Let's not just restrict this to the cheapest thing we can give, money. Money is the cheapest investment you and I can make in anything or anybody. It really is. It's the cheapest, easiest way to give. So yes, let's give money. That's fine. But what about giving our time? I find when you, you give your time, it's amazing how God will multiply your time. Somebody says, I don't have time to be in church. You never will. When I have time to do everything else under the sun, but I don't have time for the house of God, you'll never find time. But you'll be amazed when you make time for the things of God, how God will multiply your time. George Mueller said he was so busy for God, he could not spend less than two hours a day in prayer. I can never accomplish my task if I don't give God at least two hours of prayer. And I'm not saying you mark down two hours. Someone say, I'm too busy to spend that kind of time in prayer. He said he was too busy not to. He understood the principle of sowing and reaping. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And that is especially applied to the positive aspect of sowing and reaping, sowing the right kind of thing. God knowing us, knowing, well, I might be a minimalist and say, well, I'll sow as, just as little as I have to. And that way I can say, well, I'm involved in missions. I give this little amount. I'm doing what I have to do. Well, so sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. If we want a big, you want a big harvest, you know what? I find this. People that win souls to Christ are people that talk to a lot of people about Christ. Well, whether it's a gospel track or sitting down and have a conversation, they're saying, well, I'm going to sow the seed of God's word. I'm going to get God's word from my mouth to somebody's ears. So sparingly, reap sparingly, so bountifully, reap bountifully. We reap according to how we sow I'll give you an illustration of this, Matthew chapter 26. By the way, Proverbs 10, 4, and 5 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Uh, he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame, but, uh, uh, but he, uh, let me, I'm going to turn there and read it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mess it up. Probably already did. Proverbs 10, 4, and 5. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Uh, he, that sleep, he that gathereth in summer is a wise son. He that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. That sowing with a slack hand. Oh, if we think about sowing the seed of God's word. And by the way, sow it with your hand. Sow it in print, but sow it in words. Sow it in speech. How many of us know a verse we can speak to somebody else? And I don't mean mechanically walk up and start quoting verses to people randomly. That, that's not what we're speaking of. Although that would be better not doing it at all. <laughs> You go up and start you know, quoting James chapter 1 to some guy standing on the street corner. They might call the police. I don't know. They think this guy's lost his mind. But I'd say I'd be better not quoting it at all. How many times will we quote what we heard on the news? We'll quote what we read in the paper. We'll quote what so-and-so said about so-and-so. But I wouldn't want to quote the Bible. It might offend somebody. What a wretched way to think. Shouldn't God's people be giving God's word? By the way, it is very difficult to have backbiting in your tongue when the Word of God's coming out of it. Isn't that true? It is very difficult to be slicing someone up when you are giving the gospel. We do a lot better. To make, you know how you keep the wrong thing from out of your mouth? Make sure the right thing's coming out. Yes? Put off the old, put on the new. May God help us to sow the seed of God's Word. Reference the Bible every time you have a chance. So I don't know the reference. We'll quote what you know. <laughs> Some people say, I wouldn't quote a verse if I couldn't quote the reference. What a nonsensical way to think. <laughs> you quote what you know, make sure you're saying what God says. Let's not change it to our own thing. But oh, how we need the word of God to be coming from our mouth. Now, this, this illustration of reaping uh, according to how we sow. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We want to use... Matthew chapter 26, verse 7, the Bible tells us of this woman. The Bible says in verse 6, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me, for ye have the poor always with you, but me have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there, also, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. 
we just once again fulfilled prophecy. Just now, right now. How many of you think anybody in Israel, in Bethany, was thinking about Idaho, Bonner's Ferry, Idaho, United States, when she broke the box and poured it on his head? 2,000 years later, around the continent, we're still blessing this dear lady for what she did and learning from her godly example. She sowed bountifully. You know how many boxes of ointment she had? One. And once you break it, you don't get it back. It's precious. It was worth a year's wages. She sowed bountifully. Jesus said she hath done what she could. She gave what she had and she gave it all. Do you know who's the first person to see him resurrection morn? Not Peter, not James, not John, her. She sowed bountifully, she reaped bountifully. Let me ask you this, how many souls do you think have been saved as a result of the testimony of this woman? You realize how much fruit she's got in glory today? Now, why should we hold back? Why should we say, well, I've got to really balance my life. I promise you, you pour 100% on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will reap what you sow. Amen? But now if we say, you know what, I'm going to balance my life between sowing to my flesh and sowing to the Spirit, you will reap what you sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Would you stand with me?